0: love yourself it's going to be the hardest thing you ever do and and i don't mean just to look in the mirror and say that but to truly let yourself settle down in your heart and be you it, it'll be a lifetime journey and it uh it it deserves to be started as soon as you can
1: that was key hawk and this is the share podcast
2: it's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh,
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Share Podcast. And today, it is an honor and a privilege to welcome Kitski Hawk to the show. She is an amazing woman. She's a S R yoga instructor. She's an author of two books, Yoga and the 12-Step Path, as well as Addiction Recovery with Yoga, Using the Koshas for Healing. She's taught yoga in the jails and treatment centers. She's all about doing service. She has an unbelievable story of addiction. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's an absolute miracle that Kitski is alive today. And it was so much fun recording this episode. She is such a sweet and dear lady. It's actually hard to believe all the things she's done and everything that she's been through on her amazing journey into recovery. So without further ado, let's dive into Kitski's story. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Organifi is an organic superfood supplement that takes 30 seconds to make with no blending, no juicing, and no cleanup. Organifi is a coconut and ashwagandha-infused green juice that is gluten-free, soy-free. Dairy-free, vegan, and absolutely delicious. My wife and I drink it every single day. We absolutely love it. We've noticed a significant difference in reduced stress, in improved digestion, improved mental clarity, and it boosts our energy levels. So not only is it organic and upgraded with 11 superfoods, if you order now, you're going to get 20% off your order by using promo code SHARE S H A I R. So go to the Organify website www.organifi.com. Organifi Organifi is spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. And make sure to put in your promo code SHARE, S-H-A-I-R, and get 20% off your order today. Okay, and if you're wondering what is the best way to support the show, well, one of the best ways to help support the SHARE podcast is to subscribe to the SHARE podcast on your mobile device. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android. Whether you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, when you load up the Share Podcast, please press subscribe. It is the best way for us to rank on iTunes and for people who are looking for recovery to easily find the show. And while you're there, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review so that I can read it on the next episode of the Share Podcast. And speaking of iTunes reviews, let's jump into a few right now. And the first one comes to us from Wooly Jumpers. And Wooly Jumpers writes, Service with a smile. O hosts a podcast that shows life is fun, is worth the hard days, hurts a little and a lot, and gets better with sobriety. Even after describing some pretty dark, deep, low lows, guests come out laughing and sharing hope and O is there with an empathetic heart and an infectious laugh. The new 15-20 to minute mini-episodes will help boost your confidence. And while normal is just a setting on the washing machine, what you're apt to experience is to be expected and probably won't kill you. Here's to being stronger together. Not in spite of it all, but because of it all. Cry out and laugh at what some might consider horrific or at least disturbing Because you've been there. And if you're new to this podcast, know that you're not alone in your journey. Someone has your pack when you're tired. And when you're ready, you can help carry someone else's water. If service is a key component of recovery, Omar, you give a service with a smile. Peace to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Wooly Jumpers. I absolutely loved that review. And yes, it's all about service. It's all about service with a smile. And for those of you that don't already know this, there is nothing more fulfilling in this world than helping others. That is where true happiness comes from. It's the number one reason why I keep doing what I'm doing. And while we're at it, I'm going to read a few more reviews because we've got so many. I'm going to give a shout out to Angus Bryan who writes, Thank you. We can do this together. Thank you for keeping me sober. And thank you for keeping me sober, Bryan. And the next one is from srsbsb awesome thank you oh i love listening to the stories on your podcast keep up the good work right back at you srsbsb and crystal sparkles i find this podcast very helpful for my recovery thank you for sticking to it you better believe it crystal i'm sticking to it it's the gift that keeps on giving (laughs) And for those of you who have not joined the Facebook private group, we are now well over 3,000 members strong, and we now have nine amazing group admins that help the Share Podcast private group stay encouraging, supportive, loving, nurturing. The list goes on and on, and it's all positive. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're struggling with addiction, join us in the Share Facebook private group. It's the best place to be when you're in between meetings, can't get to meetings, or don't want to go to meetings. So go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in S-H-A-I-R, private group, and the share Facebook private group will pop right up. Get in there and join us today. And of course, another great way to help support the show is through your donations. And more recently, I have added another option for donations, Patreon. So if you go to The Share Podcast, www.thesharepodcast.com, share is spelled S-H-A-I-R, you'll see the PayPal option and the Patreon option, both listed in the donate section. You will also see where all the production costs are going for the show. All the donations we receive will go exclusively towards covering our production costs and ensure that the interviews and the brand new mini-episodes Recovery Talk will continue to be produced every week. So once again, I want to thank all the listeners who have donated generously to the show. Let me assure you that those donations have made all the difference in the world. So if you have not donated to the Share Podcast and would like to, then go to the Share Podcast website and donate via Patreon or PayPal today. Also as a reminder, I am now a 12 Steps Addictions Counselor at Costa Rica Recovery here in Costa Rica. They have over 11 years as an inpatient drug and alcohol treatment facility. Their 30-, 60-, and 90-day programs are one of the most affordable treatment plans available for inpatient treatment. So if you or someone you know has a problem with drugs and alcohol and are considering going to an inpatient addiction treatment center, then email me at o at oatthesharepodcast.com to see if Costa Rica Recovery is the right fit for you. And you can also go to the website, www.CostaRicaRecovery.net, which also features all the prices and services that we offer. Now a quick message from Transitions Daily and then on to the show. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Hey, Keith, thanks for joining us. Hey,
0: thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm excited to have you on the show today. How are you feeling?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. It's a great day here in Oh, here in San Jose.
1: San Jose, California? Yep. Say parallel universe. Yes. I'm in San Jose, Costa Rica.
0: Yeah, that's what I noticed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, Life the other San Jose. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. <laughs> All right. So folks, yes. today we have Keatsky Hawk joining us on the Share podcast. And Kitsuki sent me this email, and she writes, It isn't the lowest of lows, but it is a story of long-term recovery and how I avoided relapse. It is the story of finding a higher power that works for me after years of borrowing others. It is a story of of finally loving myself when I thought for years that I had to make up for being here. So, if it would help, I would love to share. That is absolutely Beautiful, Kitsuki. I love it. That was a beautiful email.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm now kind of embarrassed. Because so. <laughs> Obviously, I'm willing to open the kimono to just about anyone.
1: <laughs> well, let's just see what's behind that kimono. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So first of all, take us into your normal daily routine, including recovery.
0: I am now a woman of certain years, and whereas uh, in my early recovery, you know, I was a mom, I was working, and there was a lot, I had to schedule meetings. Now I would say that my days are more fully about recovery. I'm able to participate in service much more than I was when I needed, rightfully so, to tend to my home. So I see sponsees probably every day in the week. I teach yoga to people in recovery, so I teach classes four times a week, uh, twice in treatment centers, once in jail, and once in a studio situation, and that's all about recovery. Um, I'm a writer, so I write about recovery, um, and uh, it's kind of like part of my breath.
1: Absolutely. Now, you, I, I'm not sure. Are you a Y12SR instructor?
0: I am. Indeed, I am. Okay. Yes, yeah, so that's yoga of 12-step recovery where we have the meeting and then follow it with a yoga class.
1: Yes, as a matter of fact, I had somebody in the in the private group today asking because Y12SR is now in Australia. So she was yes. thinking about taking the, the course over there. So she was asking about suggestions. So mm-hmm. it's, it's become quite the thing. And I have already interviewed at least – if I'm not mistaken, four women that are Y Twelve sr uh, instructors. You're number five. Woohoo! So, so I'm noticing a big correlation between the the yoga practice and recovery. Like once you find recovery, it's not long before you find uh, yoga. Is that is yeah. that what happened with you? Uh
0: correct, correct. Um, I. I discovered yoga in probably my 14th year of sobriety and started practicing about the 15th year. Um, and it actually, that's part of my story, it prevented relapse for me.
1: Right. Because
0: right. Of, of the depth of, of the practice in uh, releasing uh, held trauma.
1: Well, like Nikki says, the issue is in the tissues, right?
0: That's absolutely right. Yep,
1: absolutely. Now, you just mentioned, too, that you take your practice into the prisons. Is that, is that yep. correct? So, into jail. Okay. Into so, jail. Yep. so is that uh-huh. like uh, H&I work?
0: Uh, I don't go through the H&I group, uh, the hospitals and institutions group, through my 12-step re- recovery program. I contacted the chaplain. I thought, who's going to be in charge of the emotional and spiritual well-being of these women? And I thought, I bet the chaplain. So I went on the web and found the chaplain for Elmwood and contacted her, met her for coffee, and she said, sure, we'd really like to have you there. And so I've been uh, teaching on Saturday mornings for maybe four years now, Uh, go in and we have a little talk and then we, a little recovery talk, and then do some very uh, affirmation-based yoga poses.
1: Wow. Four years that uh-huh. has got to be some really rewarding work. I mean like when you leave there it's uh-huh. got to be like an uh, a a high, right?
0: It is. I'm on cloud 9. And I've been coming there for so long, you know the guards know me. Hey yoga lady, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the yoga lady's coming.
0: Right, right. And I you know, I'm sure that the and I, yeah, maybe have between Oh, 16, sometimes forty, but not a lot of, of the population comes in, comes to the meeting. But I'm sure that that when they go back, uh, they're a little bit more mellow than when they came out. You know, to the I, I see them in a trailer and so they come out and hang out with me for a while. It's it's I really love it. And the women, I I I never feel tense or anxious being alone in a, a trailer with you know. With the the women from the jail, There's, they always look out for me. You know, they help me out. They help me rearrange the room. They're very conscious of of our shared gift.
1: I think that's I think that was what's lacking in society, and that's something that's not hasn't been embraced entirely is the concept of energy. And when you're when you bring positive energy and love into a space, it doesn't matter, you know, what the circumstances are. They, you know it it's it's a contagious sort of it's a contagious feeling and so oh, these women these women are just feeding off of your energy um, and you know you're in jail so this yes. is you know, this is not something exciting for them to be in jail so obviously this is this is an opportunity to, to do something different um, yeah. but yeah I think I think that uh, mm-hmm. there's not enough of these types of positive, reinforcing activities that change behavior that change mindsets and change spirituality and connection in the jails mm-hmm. i think that yeah, I, I think that yeah. that it's sorely needed um so yeah i'm not surprised that they're so positive in in uh, embracing you
0: yeah and that they and according to what they they feed back to me you know that that they just feel uh, more connected when they leave
1: beautiful you
0: know that's 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 a what what a what a wonderful joyous moment to be part of
1: you know what'd be curious to know and I don't know maybe you do um you've been doing it for four years mm-hmm. are there are there any women that have gone out and then uh that you know of, that you were teaching that have transitioned transitioned into a more positive lifestyle or is that something that you know you're only hopeful that that may be the case
0: There is recidivism. I I would wish that yoga would strike people wonderful, but it doesn't. So I see some women over and over. Mm. I see some women later at treatment centers. I've seen youth at, uh, I used to work with the Art of Yoga Project and I'd go to the juvenile detention center and I've seen women at the treatment centers that I used to know in juvie. So uh, it's I wish I wish it were more positive. I don't think we have a handle around uh, what is needed for sustained long term recovery, because when you're sent out of jail, you're just sent back to your neighborhood, to your family, to a, a place where you're not being supported. On the other hand, I just got a call three days ago. From some guy he says, Remember me, I'm Steve, and you know, because I give out my card that you know has a, a name on it to contact for my my studio Y twelve sr classes. Remember me, Steve? I said, uh, well, tell me a little bit more, you know. <laughs> so he was one of my students three years ago in Pathways and he wants to come to the evening. He says, Yeah, it took me another year to get it, but I'd I'd like to meet you at the yoga class. It was really good for me. That's awesome.
1: That is just awesome. That is great. That is great. That there, because I think you're right. I think, and and it would be hopeful that uh, more of them, you know, would leave and then, you know, adopt some of those spiritual practices, and then it would transform their lives. But the reality is, it's just like when you leave rehab,
2: you get all these
1: great spiritual principles that you learn in rehab. But then if you go back home, same neighborhood, Mm -hmm. same friends. Then mm-hmm. the you know the um, the relapse rate is is pretty high it's pre- it's It is. pretty is pretty high so, so it's definitely you know uh, mind body spirit so you right. you know one of the things is you got to get the body out of wherever the negativity is
0: <laughs> absolutely absolutely but hopefully they've gotten a morsel of what it what it what that moment of contentment can feel like. Yes. And that, and I keep telling them over and over again, you did this yourself. You sat here, you breathed, you used your muscles, you learned how to release them. And you got here yourself. Cause we do a seated Shavasana at the end and they're all like, you know, tripped out that it's so great. And, and I said, this was in your own hands in 55 minutes. You were able to give yourself this moment of peace. So, hopefully, they can tap back into that it's a resource for them that when they're ready, they might think back and say, Oh, you know, I remember that there was a way for me to feel, uh, you know, just a little bit less anxious, a little right. bit less angry.
1: Right. You plant the seed. That's it. Yeah, that's what we do. We, plant, we, the we so plant the seed. We plant the seed. For someone who has, I always ask this question. So, I'm curious, to see your answer, which is. Um, how do you maintain your spiritual condition, that conscious contact with a higher power?
0: Uh, it, it happens a lot of ways because sometimes I'm, I'm bereft. I'm, I'm empty in myself. You know, when I hit those, those spots of feeling like I'm not enough or feeling depressed or feeling anxious and overextended and overwhelmed, I almost don't have a resource in myself. But I know where to go. And a meeting always helps. Uh, a walk in nature helps and kids music really helps. So I have some tools that I go to, to like, I know that I'm feeling down and I say, okay, well just, just listen to one Sandra Boyton song. That's all you have to listen to. And if you don't feel better, you're, you know, I will refund you your misery. And, uh, do you have a
1: meditative practice?
0: I do. I meditate every day. And sometimes for 10 minutes, sometimes for more. But I do have a consistent meditation practice, which is why this is going to sound weird. So, you know, hang on to your hats. I'm able to slow down time. Mm. What, what I mean by that is that when I get angry or my feelings get hurt or when I'm depressed or overwhelmed, as I just mentioned, I kind of stretch time out and, and try to find a remedy that will... Uh, resuscitate me that reconnect me with my universal spirit you know so that i can be in companionship with my higher power once again but that kind of takes taking some time between the uh the 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 perception of the sensation and reaction or response to the sensation so i call that stretching out time
1: wow that is that was heavy
0: <laughs> I know. It's a little bit woo woo, but you know.
1: <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay, I'm trying to follow this. <laughs> no, no, I, it, I, I, just, I just the,
0: slow things down so I'm not shooting from the hip anymore.
1: Right, right. And that's hot. That's so tough. Slowing oh my things gosh. down. Oh my God. The brain, as soon as you give your body and your mind permission to slow down, everything speeds up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's just like, Oh, shoo, oh. so yeah, that's Which, why you know, I asked the question because it, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a ness, It's, everyone's got a different way of dealing with it. And most of the time there's a little bit of a, you know, explanation as to how to quiet the mind or how to slow down, you know, the, the thoughts.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, like when we took that one deep breath and it was just one breath before we started, didn't you have like a different sensation in your body after just one breath?
1: Yes, I did. Yeah, I was I was conscious of the breath I just took, and it changed my state in that moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's that's like that's like wizardry, you know. That that's two bottles of tequila and a baggie, <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, man. All right. So speaking of which, tell us how much clean time you have and when is your anniversary date?
0: Okay. I've got 32 years and a couple months. So my anniversary date is April 29th, 1985, that I've been clean and sober. I took my last drink on July 5th of 1983. So it took me just a little longer to let go of uh, substances.
1: Okay. So then uh, then that was... 19, what was that again then?
0: 1985. I know, 1985, April 29, 1985 is my clean and
1: sober date. Got it. Okay. From everything.
0: From everything. 32
1: years. Long time. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You weren't kidding. All right, no. <laughs> so I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna take you back in time, though. So, okay, uh, briefly tell us how old you were the first time you drank or used drugs, and more importantly, how did they make you feel?
0: Okay. My very first time was in seventh grade. Uh, I grew up overseas. Our teachers for our classrooms lived upstairs over the the classroom itself. The teacher was away at a meeting. We were in a dry country, and we went upstairs and raided his bathtub gin. He... Uh, but it has a sad ending in that, uh, you know, he came back from the meeting and there were like five seventh graders kind of in, falling down his stairs in this puppy plop of, of kids, drunk, 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 because it's like white lightning. And um, and unfortunately, because it was a dry country, he got deported.
1: Oh, man. Busted.
0: Yeah. And and that was a lot. That was the beginning of a long line of me using and other people paying the consequences, paying the price. So, you know, yeah, I was sick but I thought it was fun and, and I was hanging out with the cool kids and that was always great. And I was hanging out with the boys and, you know, at, uh, at my age it, girls and boys were like a permitted different things when I was growing up. I mean vastly different, you know, and uh, so here it was where I could hang out with the boys and that was a pretty good deal.
1: Alright, well we're going to we're going to springboard from there because it's time ah. for me to turn this show over to you, Kitski. It's time for you to oh, share your hey. story, the battle against uh-huh. drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life when you hit rock bottom, and then finally your journey into recovery up until today. So please Woo-hoo. take it away. All
0: right. Well, um, Yes, seventh grade, and then I, I, uh, I hit a long term of sobriety for a year and a half until I was in ninth grade, and so in ninth grade, um, we were back in the States, and it was in the 60s, late 60s in San Francisco, and um, you get a someone who is feeling alienated and separated and, uh, you know unsure and uh, not, uh, I didn't have, you know, I had never been to, but well, I'd seldom been to American school, so I was completely lost. But I found my tribe immediately, those who had moved frequently, those who came from, I mean, in retrospect, it's, I can see now, it's people, kids who had a little discord in the home, little discord, finan- you know, parents' finances, and we right. all found one another and matchbooked. Matchboxes of pot, and uh, then uh, Boone's Farm apple wine, and um, you know, at first it's just a lot of fun. You know, you you meet people out in the shrubbery, and you know, do things that you think nobody knows what's happening. But you know, from afar, it looks like the shrub is on fire because you're all smoking in there, and (laughs) and it's just like we're so subtle.
1: Yeah, but you were you were this this is back in the '60s, San Francisco in the '60s, right? So there's a whole lot of you know experimenting going Uh, on. Absolutely,
0: oh, everything. So I started out as a garbage girl. You know, as a matter of fact, initially, booze was harder to get than than drugs. Um, Interesting. But you know, you 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 find a way to get, and this like a buck thirty nine for a gallon of Gallo wine, and. Drinking Boone's Farm apple wine, hanging out with people who can buy buy stuff for you, and uh, get in. High school went immediately to pills, and uh, you know, cutting school and being you know somewhere else when I should have been uh, you know studying or whatever. But because I came from a, a house with. Uh, Alcoholism, and I had a younger brother and sister. I was also, on on the other hand, very responsible, so I didn't go herring off with everybody for like a weekend in Tahoe or for, uh, you know, going to the the concerts that were out of town, you know, Monterey or Napa cause I had to be home at four to take care of my brother and sister and, um, and, and be sure that my mom wasn't burning down the house. She was a smoker and a drinker and, oh. you know, it was just, it, you know, it, so I had this dual existence and it's not unusual for, for, uh, oldest kids to be, you know, have one foot in both camps, right. you know, you know, you, you come home and you're responsible. You know, when someone would hand me a, a, a pill before, uh, before school started, I would just, um, of course I was going to take it, but my question was always, when will I be back? <laughs> when, when will I land so that I can cook dinner? You know, I don't want to take something that's going to be like a nine hour trip. I only want to go for like the eight hour trip because I got to cook for my family. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you, you as I said, you know, other people paid the price. You know, I was almost uh, ejected from school, but that wasn't gonna, you know, that wasn't gonna fly. And, and you know, got my uh, my mom involved so that she could. Uh, well, I didn't want her to be involved, but they did so that, uh, that you know, she she pleaded my case, and I was able to stay in school. But I knew I wasn't going to be in high school for very long, so I went to school for an extra summer so I could graduate early. And so I graduated in two and a half years because I knew otherwise I'd be a dropout. So I I did the responsible thing by graduating, and then I hit the streets. I left home and, um, um, you know, just carried on. Um, so what's in my story is, is uh, uh, you know, gra- geographics, you know, moving to Colorado and, you know, wanting to live on some kind of, uh, you know, commune we raised pigs and chickens and goats and sold corn off the back of a truck you know but but on the other hand um I I got pregnant with my daughter and uh so I was doing the responsible thing of trying to find a place to live and on the other hand um uh, working in the bars so I started working in the bars when I was 19 because I was pregnant I guess they figured I was 21 and um just You know, people just did things differently back in the in the early 70s. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> way different, way different. Uh, so, you know, borrow someone's van to go back and forth to work and then get too drunk to return it and, like, leave it in the road on with the doors open. And somebody has to come down the road and let us know that the van is somewhere on the road. And, uh, uh, you know, some things that, that look like hijinks, you know, you move into a place and find a little, a, a, a little, uh, a tin foil package of pills in the back of the freezer, and it's not, you know, oh my God, we should throw this stuff away. It's like, okay, who wants to try it first? <laughs> <laughs> so, Been there. So Hal, yeah, let's give it to Hal. He'll eat anything. Um, and uh, but then also. Um, Befriending people who were dangerous, you know, I, I'm at work, the jealous boyfriend comes to my house where my daughter is with a shotgun and shoots up my refrigerator, shoots oh. up the kitchen, and my daughter and uh, the babysitter hide in the bathtub until he leaves, you know, the so it wasn't, all, it's, it's not all hijinks, it's also danger, Very. Uh, it's uh, being you know, with people who overdose and, and at that time, you know, didn't have Narcan, but you had ice. And so you put them in a bathtub, cover them with ice and, and try to revive them. And, and, um, you know, it becomes ugly, uh, you know, where, um, the relationships become more abusive. The, uh, the moving becomes more frequent. The, uh, the self-esteem, uh, like, Diminishes to almost zero. Uh, I had a second child. um, And uh, my first one was taken away for for, uh, a period of time for a couple of months. Um, And uh, moved back to San Francisco to find back from Colorado to to get her back. Um, In the meantime, every time I really hit a bottom, a low bottom, what I thought was my lowest bottom, I would go back to school. uh, Because that was one way that I could you know, kind of put some edges in my life, uh, where I would, you know, think that there was something beyond the, the nightlife and the you know, scoring and the hanging out in people's houses. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's just, it, it defies belief now when I look back on it living in abandoned houses. Now, okay, living in an abandoned houses, that's, that's groovy. You don't pay rent, but you also don't have electricity and you don't have garbage pickup. So, you know, these acts of, of daily life of, of trying to find electricity and you're like going into someone else's garden and plugging into their exterior outlet and then trying to string enough extension cords back to where you live or, you know, at night doing the garbage run where you take all your garbage and uh, put it in some restaurant dumpster. You know, it's just not a romantic existence.
1: Yeah, not at glamorous all. at all. No, no,
0: no, not at all. And, you know, with one foot in trying to make something of my life and one foot in in uh, my disease, which just took so many forms. Yes, I'm using, and yes, I'm drinking, but I'm also... Um, Allowing, because I want approval and because I want to be cared for or loved, I'm just putting myself in more and more dangerous situations because, believe me, I am not that big of a prize. So <laughs> at this <laughs> point, I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, as they say, our standards lower to meet our level of functioning, and my standards kept lowering. And there were the things, the times where you thought that that would be it, the time when I was pregnant with my second and I was beaten up by the dad's friend. And you'd think that I would say, my God, I can't do this anymore. But that wasn't it. The gun, you know, holding a gun to to my, me holding a gun to my own head, hoping that I'll have the the guts to pull the trigger uh, because I don't think that I can not wake up another day. You know, I keep hoping I'll die in my sleep and it doesn't happen um, to, you know, having your daughter taken away. You think that would be it. But no, you know, I get her back and I think everything's going to be swell. And no, I go down and I become an IV drug user and I go down even further. Um, it it was. um you know, and then you, I have no more money. I, I, you know, I'm trading everything I can, including not just my dignity but my body. And um, you know, you move in with a dealer because then at least you'll have uh, constant access. If he's not going to give it to you, trade you for it. You can steal it, right? So, I was, I was thrifty. <laughs> I knew how to handle that problem.
1: You know? that's, a, that's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> It's a colorful term.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. You know, and uh, and so I talk about the consequences and other people paying the price. Surely my children paid the price. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the times they fell asleep in the hallway waiting for me to uh, read them a bedtime story. Because I always wanted to be a good mom. I certainly wanted to read to them every night. I mean, that's what good moms did. But there were so many times I'd have to look in the refrigerator in the morning to see if I could tell if any food was missing, so I would know whether I had fed them the night before. Ugh. I mean, that's that hurts my heart even now. It, it just is is so tr- tragic, and um, you know they they were just beautiful, and they're they're really beautiful human beings now. They were just innocent kids, and they just didn't deserve that. I mean, no one does. I didn't when I was growing up. They didn't. But it's the helping they got because I have a disease, you know, and yes, it's the disease of more. But it also it's the disease of of not knowing what to do, of not knowing how to tolerate my feelings, of not being able to put any space between how I feel and how I react to it. You know, because if I if I feel bad, I'm going to grab that Myers Rum. I'm going to grab that needle. I'm going to grab that joint, because there's no way that I know how to tolerate the feelings that I have. Right. Because you, so it was, um, and because I had put myself in all those dangerous situations, you know, and had been in uh, dangerous, uh, abusive. Uh, and s- certainly and in- some life-threatening situations, and certainly some that were just ugly to behold, I had recorded a lot of trauma in my body. So anyway, the day came.
1: I'm sorry, what was that? You had what?
0: Trauma in my
1: body. Ah, yes.
0: Those events, you know, the, the being able to tolerate feeling sick to your stomach all the time. You know, that's going to give you some digestive disorder later in your life. If you don't know whether he's going to knock you in the head or hug you, you know, you're going to have a fair num- amount of twitching about the head and shoulders. Um, if, if you know, in these, in these situations where it, things can go either way, you're always walking around waiting for the other shoe to drop. Nothing is dependable. So... There came a day, and it wasn't like one of those big days when, when you know, there were tears, when there was vom- when there was vomiting. There wasn't a, a time when there was a, a fist or being spat on. That was the day. I, it was the day when I was just, I woken up again after not wanting to have done it before. You know, I've just, I just, I can't tell you how many mornings, how many nights I went to bed saying, "This has got to be the last time." This has got to be the last time and you just wake up and, and somehow you just know you're going to you're going to wait till four o'clock and then do it again. But this one morning I woke up and I'm sitting on the edge of the bed and I'm super aware, hyper aware, just sometimes you're so raw that you can hear dust in the air. It just, you're just such a, a raw nerve. And I'm sitting there on the bed there's a little bit of light link, you know, going through the curtains. And the room is a disaster, as it was 90% of the time. You know, clothes everywhere, bottles everywhere, ashes and cigarettes and joints and just paper and stuff um, everywhere. I'm sitting there looking around, and I, and I, I just felt like my soul was, was like on a very – like a – like a spider web, like a gossamer thread. And it was just kind of a little bit away from me and I was holding on to it. And I felt like if I I let go of what was left of me, that I was just gonna walk out that door, walk out the door of the house and down the block to the junkies house and just be there and just not come back. And someone would find the kids, someone would handle what was left, but I couldn't think about it anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't play the double game. I couldn't be a mom and, and try to go to work and, you know, try and find some dignity. Because when someone someone hurts you all the time, there's a, the reason that it hurts is because you still have a thread of dignity left. Yeah. And, and I was I was just getting ready to let that go. I thought, if I let it go, I'm not going to come back. This is like the last time. And for whatever reason, I decided not to let go. i had heard that a friend of mine, a woman who I had spent many nights uh, on the needle with, and she had gotten clean and sober. I thought, God, if she can do it. So I called her up and she said, yes, she'd come and take me to a meeting. And, uh, but this is like, you know, I don't know, 7.30 in the morning. And she said she'd be by about 6.30 at night, and we'd, we'd go to a, a 7 o'clock meeting. I'm thinking, God, that's an unholy amount of time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling.
2: <laughs>
0: it's like, I don't know that I can make it, but, yeah. but, I, but you know, I, I'm, I'm really, really sick. I'm sick to my bones. I'm sick to my soul. And I went to the beach. I lived out on 48th Avenue at this time, and I, I went out to San Francisco Beach. And it's, it's never lovely at the beach, in San, or seldom, I should say, lovely at the beach. So I'm sitting, there, you know, kind of wrapped up in a in a big coat, and I'm just waiting for the clock to tick on, I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. And uh, slowly, the, the time came. She showed up, and we went to my first meeting, which, if you knew Marie, who Unfortunately, has passed in sobriety, but we went to the gay atheist agnostic meeting on Geary Street. <laughs> because, man, <laughs> we weren't we were going to tell anyone who we were.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow, you got a whole mix of everything in one meeting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I still have the chip. I still have the 24-hour chip from my I my, my gay agnostic 24-hour chip and it's it's a real important chip to me but at that meeting I was looking around and these there's people here who have 5 years of sobriety and I thought holy shit you don't have a problem if you can stay sober for 5 years you don't know four o'clock like I know four o'clock. You don't know Sundays like I know Sundays. How could this possibly work? And then one woman raised her hand and said she had three days sober. And I almost cried from relief. And the poor woman, I probably scared the bejesus out of her. I ran over to her after the meeting, and I just looked at her. I said, how do you do it? She is the person I wanted to hear from because she knew what it was like. And she was, of course, scared and said what we say, which is just today, like, go away. <laughs> but, yeah, it's <laughs> okay. <laughs> but. Uh, and I stayed clean and sober for oh, two months. Uh, and I used, somebody gave me a big book, and I would lie on the bed with my ear in the pillow, one ear on the pillow, and the big book on the other ear, so I didn't have to listen to the of cans and the chop 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 of, of blades on mirror. And I hope I'm not triggering anyone, but it was just <laughs> cacophony of 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 um, of use, you know. That was just it was. You know, it it just was like fire on my nervous system. And I've had many dramatic moments in my life. And this was the period of time that I titled, Against All Odds, She Remained Sober.
1: No doubt. (laughs) No doubt.
0: (laughs) But then I woke up one morning and I said, it doesn't need to be a drama. To be really sober, I need to get the hell out of here. And I did. I left the city, and I moved down here to San Jose. And um, my mom, who was clean, who had become clean and sober maybe a decade previous, uh, was living here in San Jose. And she let me and the kids move into her garage. And uh, so uh, the kids were first and third grade. I moved into the garage, and I felt safe. You know, we just we just cuddled together on a couple of foam mattresses and had my stuff in those, that lovely set of luggage known as the matching garbage bags. And, And, and there, so there we were, um, and, and, and for a while, probably for another six weeks, things were okay. I, I lived really close to the Alano Club, which was right across the street from the elementary school. And the kids went to the elementary school and I went to the Alano Club and came back home. And we just kind of, you know, came into that big house, my mom's house, to eat dinner and then went back out to the garage trying to keep a low profile. And then one day he showed up again and it you know, like, oh, do I love him or do I love what he has in his pocket? I don't know. And uh, slowly but surely I got back into using drugs. Now, at that time, I was hiding behind the we deal with alcohol only uh, palaver at the the 12-step meetings. So at that time, you know, it was in, in the 85, in the early 80s, 83 to 85, it was still, um, you know, they weren't sure if we were going to handle these druggies at our, our AA meetings. And, um, and so I, I thought, well, I don't have to tell them I'm using because we deal with alcohol only. So I'll come here. I won't tell them I'm still using. And, I'll, and I celebrated my first birthday uh, with a cake in AA um, and uh, went home and smoked pot. And uh, I did that. I, I didn't use drugs very often, and I had to pick apart with the help of of, of a therapist uh, who I was really seeing. Was I really wanting to see this guy who had hurt me so badly, but somehow I felt like I needed him in my life, which is addiction to relationships? Or was I addicted to what I hope he would bring me? And I had decided I needed to divorce them both. Nice. Yeah. However, that wasn't my last use of drugs. As, as you know, God has a huge sense of humor, I got a job as a receptionist in a psychiatrist's office. Now, I was also the, the key holder for the drugs cabinet. And I remember one day looking at there going, oh, my God, what I really need is the perfect combination. And I'm looking at these drugs, and, and I just said, no, Kitsky, no. And I turned around, and I said, I need the perfect combination of sugar and salt. And started started my my affair with cheeses. <laughs> uh, you know, God, you know, took care of me then, but the one of the doctors kept. You know always getting these samples in the mail, and he told me that I really needed this this non-alcoholic but codeine enhanced cough service. You so should just need this at home in case your kids get sick.
1: Oh my God and I said
0: no, thank you. I said no, thank you. And finally I said, okay. And I was thinking I should just throw this in the dumpster as I walked to my car and I didn't. and I brought it home and I developed a cough. and uh, a cough that required that entire, bottle of codeine cough syrup. Right. And that was my last drug. That was uh, before, you know, some, like April 20, I wanna say 27th, I was so sick on the 28th, so I call April 29th my my anniversary. So, you know, it's, it's a, I, st- I, st- I st- had kept going to meetings, and I held that stone in my heart that I had not been clean and sober for about another six months. And then I heard a woman tell my story. She told the story of having used drugs and not, um, and not having fessed up about it. And when she was telling the story, you could have heard a pin drop in the room and everybody was leaning forward. and Everybody had a loving, accepting look on their face. And when she was done, you know, the uproar, uproar of, of of clapping, and I didn't hate her. I didn't think she was awful. I was so grateful, and, and I heard the pain in, in her voice at having to have kept this secret. And I recognized the pain that I had been living with by keeping the secret. And I thanked her so much, and from that day on, I went to all my regular meetings, and I—, I I fessed up. I just stood up. You know, when I was asked to share, I just said real briefly, I need to reset the clock, and this is this is why. And uh, just as as my my verbal amends to everyone who had cared about me and thought that I was going on to three years when I was really, you know, barely making two. So that was uh, a real learning experience in my recovery. I'm checking the time here, um, so.
1: You're fine, you're fine.
0: Fine, okay, so that was that rocky start. Uh, So obviously in my first years when I did the steps the first time, it was under uh, the most vague circumstances at best. Because every time I started feeling, I started using. But yet I wanted to complete the steps so I could join the club. So because it was really important to me to join the club to be part of and and because addiction is a dis- disease of separation, becoming part of is a really critical part of in my recovery, becoming part of the tribe, part of the meetings I went to, be able to walk into a room and know, you know, a good number of the people in there and have a good number of the people know me. That was very important. Um and, and, you know, they say they love you until you can love yourself. And no one told me not to come back when I finally uh, came, came, cl- came clean about my, my drug use. I was like, oh, that's fine. But what I did, and this was kind of a rebellious thing, I, I started introducing myself as an addict and an alcoholic because I needed to bring both of those women to the rooms. And uh, I just decided that it was worth my sobriety to mention both of those. And that people who didn't care for it could talk to their sponsors. So it's kind of my little rebel yell. Uh, and so when I did my, my uh, steps, uh, again, it was with a lot more consciousness. And I've done the steps many times. Um, on one, one pattern of behavior or another. I mean, first it's like looking at the harms that I've done to myself and others in my drinking and using career. And then it was maybe on one aspect, maybe my financial indiscretion or mm. certainly my codependency or uh, my love addiction, my love and sex addiction, because that kind of kept me sober for about five years with serial monogamy, you know, just – you know going through guys like chicklets and it, it was not it was not pretty but it, it was part of my disease that i was i was involved in otheration. it was going to be something outside of myself that was going to give me peace right and that, that that was not the answer and it took me a while to regain and reclaim my dignity and to to live as a, as a wholesome woman so that i could be in a wholesome relationship um, and then, uh, I mentioned earlier that in my, my mid teens, I, um, I nearly relapsed and that came about as a result of, of going into full fledged workaholism. And I know that we all say that we're a workaholic with a little bit of, of laughter behind it, kind of like I'm a chocaholic or, you know, some other thing that we're doing to excess and wish we weren't. But this was, uh, a I had gone back to school. I had gotten a profession. I was hired into a company at a pretty pretty high level for my for my uh, experience and my, um, uh, you know, and certainly my, my secret guilt was that I was an addict. I used to say to myself, my God, they don't know who they've hired. <laughs> oh, my God, they're letting me run this department? They have no idea. <laughs> and, uh, but... I was getting all my accolades from work, and work was going through a, a big a software conversion, and uh, it, you know a lot of of. Um Um, I was a CPA so I was working as an accountant and so a lot of really exciting things were happening in the accounting field I know it's hard to believe but you know Sarbanes-Oxley and all these great things (laughs) were coming on and so I was getting a lot of positive feedback at my solution finding my team building my leadership skills things that we learn in the rooms of recovery you know we learn how to speak we learn how to present ourselves. We learn how to navigate and negotiate differences. If you've been in service at any level and gone to H&I meetings, you know that personalities can conflict. Oh, learning my how to- God. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful skill for the real world.
1: <laughs> you mean personalities before principles?
0: Yeah, yeah, those. those yeah, you can flip that. Oh, yeah. Oh, and- <laughs> Absolutely. So it gave me some skills to work with upper management. <laughs> so, in any case, what happened was while I was still going to meetings, I was going to meetings light, you know, checking in late, leaving early. I saw my sponsor, but, you know, wasn't, I wasn't capable of sharing a lot. I, all of my nurturance was coming from work, and I worked 10 to 12 hour days six to seven days a week. And that, and, you know, with the commute and everything, it was just, there wasn't a lot left of me. And I was going from meeting to meeting, accolade to accolade. I was getting, you know, awards and rewards, you know, trip to New York, trip on the corporate jet, you know, groovy things, you know, for, for this old, you know, addict alcoholic, I was completely gaga over my good fortune. But I was once again losing touch with myself. In addition, I had been sober long enough that I had the intellectual part down. I could, you know, ruminate through the steps, Mm. but I was clogged on an emotional, physical level. So that's where yoga comes in. Uh, For whatever reason, I... I had gym clothes in the back of my car, you know, because when you're overdoing it, you also have to go to the gym salon. Um So I had some gym clothes in the back of my car, and I went by this health food store, and it said it used to have – it had a little light that lit up when there were yoga classes there. And I was going home on a Saturday afternoon, and I thought, if the light is lit, I will stop and take a yoga class. I, something has to give. And so I started, I was living on the East Coast, and I stopped in Severna Park from Baltimore to to Annapolis, and the uh, the light was lit. So I went on in, and they were just starting, and they were going to wait for me while I changed from my, you know, work talks into my gym clothes. And I, I went in, and, and I was at the back of this small room, and she was just a loving teacher and and she just, you know, I, there wasn't that sense of, like, you have to do every pose perfectly. She would give me small verbal correct corrections or adjustments, if you will, uh, so that I didn't hurt myself badly. But just the tenderness of her voice and moving my body drove me to tears, and I just cried. The tears just were coming like a river down my face. It wasn't the big boo-hoo, but it was just, like, a, a tremendous release and, um, and and I lay in Shavasana and I thought I, I hadn't felt myself let go in years in years and uh, so I kept coming back and she moved to a different studio and I followed her and I became really interested in what the heck is going on now it, did, it didn't happen my repairs didn't happen quickly it took several years before I really figured out what was going on in my body uh, but I just let it happen. I, you know, I, I didn't try to figure it out and I became so interested and, you know, I'm still hanging out with my recovery peeps and I'm running with a, we used to have a group that met called the pushing up daisies group because we used to meet in, they, the meeting used to be, in a cemetery, a gardener's shed.
1: Oh, <laughs> so wow. So the pushing up daisies group. <laughs> That's awesome. So,
0: Isn't that great? So we met. We we run around Annapolis for three to five miles, and then go to the Pushing Up Daisy's group. And so between the run and the um, and the meeting, I started leading some yoga poses, and they seemed to be experiencing what I was experiencing in terms of kind of this transformational release. And, and, and sure, we're doing yoga for people who are running, and, and we're attending to that those sets of muscles. But there's also this this compassionate letting go and a listening to the internal landscape, rather than just the you know meetings we talk and we're thinking with our heads. And even though our heart's open, and you can tell you know we're, we're all sitting there listening to someone else's words, and our heart is open to them. Um, and that's how we learn about ourselves. But, but uh, there is something that's deep in the tissues that you can't get from a sitting down position, from a static position. So I decided to uh, become a yoga teacher. And I did a five-year plan where I still worked for, for Northrop Grumman and, and – um, uh, but went to yoga teacher training and then taught part-time. And then after I had saved up money for five years, I left my job and started teaching uh, yoga to people in recovery exclusively. And uh, that's when I wrote my first book, Yoga in the 12-Step Path. Because I, I believe that those two, um, uh, those two disciplines are, are inexorably entwined. And in fact, the, the, the recovery principles, you know, can be traced back through the Oxford group to the theosophists, to the Vedic scholars. So there is a reason why um, the the some of the um, um, precepts feel so comfortable to someone studying yoga and that recovery can feel so comfortable to a yogi. And so that kind of brings me to where I am today.
1: A beautiful, beautiful story. That's where you're at today. Wow, what Thanks. an absolutely transformative adventure from... Homeless junkie, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> to this beautiful, amazing, enlightened yoga teacher, yeah, that has written a book of spirituality about practice, about life, and that's why we do what we do, don't we?
0: And, and that's I, I'm so fortunate now to be at a place in my life where um, where yoga and recovery are comfortably not not out of stress or obligation, but are comfortably a uh, part of my life.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I recently, if I look at my past episodes, I knew there was something that was very reminiscent about uh, your story, is uh-huh. I also had recently uh, a, uh, a lady that... Uh, I gotta find it. Uh, she wrote a book recently too, uh, that is all about. Let me see here. Give me one moment. I'm going to. Sure. I'm going to find this. Sure. Okay. okay. I got so many. Okay. Her name is Jane. Dr. Jane Galloway. She wrote the Wisdom oh. of Twelve Steps Spirituality, and oh. it's it's all about the how spirituality and the twelve steps intertwine, um, and I think that. The your same concept of how Mm -hmm. yoga, the the practice of yoga, and then spirituality and the twelve steps all melds together. It's 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 an amazing transformative experience with practical applications, and where you actually can release a lot of the negativity and the toxins through these practices. Um, Mm -hmm. I have recently started to practice yoga more and more. My wife is a yoga instructor. Uh, ah, yes. Uh, so awesome. yeah, it's and it's there's the same <laughs> reason the same reason why we're together and we found our way to each other is because when we met the correlation in mindset was so similar. We we we, we talked in the same language as mm-hmm. far as spirituality mm-hmm. and about connecting with the universe and with a higher power uh, devoid of any religious intervention. You know, it was yeah. all just a yeah. spiritual practice that we both Agreed on and and it it really set us off on on the right tone when we we first met and from there it just kind of everything else melded together Uh, so I think it's just it's just an amazing and beautiful beautiful journey uh, that you've been on
0: oh no I was going to say yeah it just it just enhances uh, one's connection and intimacy even because it's 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 the the spirituality is so crucial you. it's crucial, exactly. Um, uh, uh my next book is coming out in November called uh, "Yogic Tools for Recovery: A Guide to Working the Twelve Steps."
1: There you go. So, just,
0: so taking <laughs> taking all of the because yoga is more than the physical practice, as you know. There's a whole philosophy behind it. Yes. And, and so the the the. Looking inside the body for some of the answers to the difficulties that we're we're facing, particularly in later recovery, we've got a large group of people now who've been around the rooms for a while, and they can plateau or feel like um, there's you know I'm not you know, we're always talking about change, we're always talking about gratitude, you know there it kind of becomes uh, routine, and and recovery is anything but routine. But sometimes you got to look inside to know, to figure it out.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. But you know, there's so many, there's so many takeaways from your story that I could relate to. Um, the the part about how you got the job and you're working six to seven days a week, you know, ten to twelve hours a day, and you weren't present at home. You know, your kids once again. You know, you yeah. they, they were it was. The drugs took you away, the lifestyle took you away, and now mm-hmm. you've got recovery and this full-time job, and you have to be able to, to do both, because the job mm-hmm. pays the bills, the recovery keeps you on the beam, so what happens to the kids, and what happens to your relationships, and then mm-hmm. you have that epiphany of incongruency, where yeah. my, my, my work-life balance is completely out of whack. Yeah. And, yeah, and I have to I have to make an exit strategy to get out. Um, yeah, and I think that that I think so many of us are are trapped in that. Um, one of the things like w- that really caught me there was when you were talking about how you were in you were just gotten sober and you went back to your house and you w- would sleep with the big book on your ear so you wouldn't hear the the beer cans yeah. open or the credit cards, you know, or yeah. the razor blades on the glass, you know, I mean, that's, people need to hear that. Yeah. I don't know if it's a trigger or not. I remember there was yeah. a time where if I heard anything like this, you know, I would.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I thought people should be able to open Coke cans in meetings. I thought, what the hell? That should be outlawed. <laughs>
1: But I, you know, I I think that that is, if you, it's just like we were talking about when you leave the prisons or you leave jail, if you don't acclimate yourself appropriately, if you go right back into the war zone, then it's virtually impossible for you to disconnect from that lifestyle, and eventually, it's going to suck you back in. There's no way. You know, after everything you've been through, two months of sobriety is going to be able to challenge that. So yeah. making the move, leaving the place, going and living in a garage that was safe, okay? Yeah. These are good moves that we're making and, and people, and that's why we tell these stories because so many of us think that we're terminally unique and nobody understands and I'm, my situation is different and I, I can't do it because of X, I can't mm-hmm. do it because of why. I can't move because of this. I can't leave because of that. I can't leave my job. I can't leave my home. I can't leave this dysfunctional, womanizing, abusive husband that's beating me up every other week. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't. And that's, of course, you can't, you know, right. because you've already told yourself you can't. Right, right. Whether you can or you can't, right? Whether you think you can or you think you can what, – what is it? Hold on. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. That's right. That's right. So you just have to make – you have to just make a conscious decision that you're not going to tolerate this anymore and that no matter what I'm going to do, I'm going to make the move that's right for me. I'm going to change people, places, change. and things. Um, your story is just unbelievable and it's just – uh, it's such a miracle that, that you're alive today and, and living such a – it's such a spiritually connected life.
0: I am so fortunate. I really am fortunate. And I never forget it. I never forget it. That uh, I have a, a life in which I can be fully content. My children and I have a good relationship. I just spent last week in Disneyland with my nine-year-old grandson. Uh, and, uh, you know, that what a, what a treat. What a treat to be able to do that.
1: And be present.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yes. And be able to play with him, like a you know, like a, a adult kid. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't a nine year old. I'm way too too old for that. But but I was able to play with him playfully, and I was also able to to be able to lovingly and clearly state what the boundaries were in advance before it became an emergency. I was able to handle feeding ourselves, feeding us on time in a a healthy way and making sure that we had rest and still having lots of playtime in advance before things became out of control, which was how I discovered boundaries. You know, even even in early sobriety, I never knew what the boundaries were going to be until they'd been violated. And then it's an emergency.
1: Right. Right.
0: So just knowing in advance how things were going to go or or what I would say in terms of behaviors that I will, that I will tolerate behaviors that I won't and not, and not holding too tight a rein because I feel out of control. That's another thing. I don't feel personally out of control all the time. So I don't have to make others toe the line so that I feel good.
1: Right. Right. But what you just said there is crucial, crucial in early recovery. And if it if that's the only thing you can do, while you're in the process of setting clear limits and boundaries for everything for yourself and for the people around you is so important. And if you don't know what they are, ask somebody, right? You know, we, we, we will, we will just cross right over lines, left and right, uh, and, and push people away and alienate people because we just have, we have no limits. We have no boundaries. We don't know, you know, how how to even coexist with with people and so i mean i remember very early on i had uh wasn't even my sponsor i think i talked to him afterwards but i had a friend of mine in the in the rooms and she said you know what i think you need to go and do a writing assignment and it should be on limits and boundaries i think you need to go and look up the definition for them okay and and kind of get an understanding of what that means and maybe talk a little bit to your sponsor uh and and i remember that and i was like who do you think you, think are?
0: you are oh my god
1: like i didn't come here for this right uh But, you know, here's the thing. I was in a different state back then. Um, And as much as my ego would take blows and want to posture, I would go back and I would leave the situation and it would just... It planted a seed like we were talking about in the beginning. It just planted a seed and then I'm like, you know, she's got 15 years and I've got two months. Maybe maybe I should take a look at this and maybe I should go yeah. talk to my sponsor. And then it was like, whoa, oh my God. Like, holy cow. Like this, I've been doing this my whole life.
0: And, and, oh, and- now I see. <laughs> yeah. Now I oh. see why
1: I'm pissing people oh. off all the time.
2: God.
0: I had no idea.
1: Right. And it's oh. it's these little simple things that we learn. It's a design for living. That's what the program is. is. And we have all these people before us that have gone through the same thing. God only knows how many times they've been told the same thing. And we just have to follow suit. We just (laughs) follow the path they laid before us. It's not a difficult thing to do. It's already there. We just have to follow it. We just ask for suggestions, ask for help, ask for guidance. We pray for it. We ask mm-hmm. for it. We go to meetings and share about it, and we have these amazing tools and forums to do that. And um, you'd be cheating yourself if you didn't take advantage of all of it. I mean, that's just my my take on it.
0: Right, right. And that's uh, you know, and just take one thing at a time. You yes. know, just, you don't have to do it all at once. Just take one thing at a time and practice practicing, practice learning, practice changing. It isn't easy. I mean, it's a, it sounds like it's simple, but it's, it's not easy. So give yourself a break. Practice doing one thing at a time. What is it like a mountain climber where you, you, when you're going up a mountain, you don't move both hands at once or even a hand and a foot at once. You move one limb at a time. You'll get your fingers into the crevice and really hold on and then take your foot up a little bit and really make sure you've got good purchase before you change. Take it slow.
1: Beautiful. I love it. All right. So Kitski, we're going to start closing down. So what I'm going to do is the way we close down is for the newcomer. And I'm going to ask Mm -hmm. you five questions about your early recovery. And I want you to respond with inspiring answers you can share with our newcomers. Are you ready?
0: Okay, I am. All
1: right. (laughs) So number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery?
0: Uh, Well, initially it it was him, you know, that I, I, well, I'd like to blame him, but I, let me, let me tell you the truth. It's the, the, um, sensations of my feelings. I I was running from my feelings. Mm.
1: That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Being sober and being clean and having to Mm -hmm. deal with all these emotions guilt, mm-hmm. shame, remorse, fear, <gasps> I mean, all this, everything that I've done, it's yeah. oh, just, it's, it's, if you're not in a structured program, then it's, it's unbearable, it's, it's yeah. super overwhelming, so I, I, I get it, I get it. All right, so number two, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover?
0: Okay, so that was sitting – well, sitting on the bed made me – where I was thinking about my – letting the true me dissipate and and going away forever. I knew that that was a crucial moment, but there was another moment when I was walking into a meeting, and I – I'm very dramatic in my head, and (laughs) – and I was I was like super happy. you know, I was content. it was, uh, we're all kind of walking toward the fireside room or whatever room it was named at this church. And I was thinking, my God, we're all like threads in a tapestry. You know some of us are thin and not so, uh, you know, and unsure some of us are thin like silk, very strong. Some of us are bumpy and, and irascible, but we're all threads in this big, beautiful tapestry and i belong.
1: Ooh.
0: Like we it was it was like i it was like it went right through my chest and around my shoulders i just felt complete.
1: How far along in recovery were you when this happened?
0: That was probably 6 months. 6 months clean and sober.
1: So <sighs> it in yeah.
0: five. So it was just it was an overwhelming feeling like I didn't have to be the same as everyone else and we all got to be here. We all had a place.
1: That is beautiful. And you know, so much happened around that six month mark. That's when I had mm-hmm. lost my urge to use after six months of just gritting my teeth and praying every day and going to meetings every day. There was that reprieve right from that from the urge, the constant urge of using and you know that six month milestone so many people find that that is such a huge spiritual awakening jumping off point um which is good i wanted to i just wanted to emphasize that for our listeners because they have man they i tell you just sometimes it's so hard it's so hard to say just stay clean one more day and they're, they're right in the middle of their you know, first 30 or first 60 days. And it's like, just just wait it out a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, just wait it out a little bit longer. And then, you know, there's something magical happens around six months. I hear you. I love that story. Very woo-woo-y. <laughs> As I
0: said, I'm, it's, it's all in my head. I know.
1: That. <laughs> I love the drama. Love it. All right. So um, do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to our newcomers that you read in early recovery?
0: Okay, I would read the, the the Daily Reflections. That was about as much as I could take, it was just a, a little sentence and then a little, you know, a quote and then a little discussion. I, I didn't talk a lot about this, but I was really damaged in my first three or four years. I, I couldn't retain, I could read, but I couldn't understand. Uh, it was very, I was, it, it took me a long time to get well. So just just a quote and a comment. That was about all I needed, and uh, and it was inspirational.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. Now you have you've already written a book, correct? Right. Yes. And, and you're writing another one, right? Yes. So yes. What is, so please tell us about the book that you've already written, and the best way for our listeners to reach out to you.
0: Oh. Okay. Um, I can be reached through my website, which is yogarecovery.com, and there's a couple ways to get a hold of me, so yogarecovery.com. And the, the first book is Yoga in the 12-Step Path, where I interleave the two philosophies and show how the philosophy of yoga supports uh, recovery.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. I'm going to have yeah. that listed in the show notes, folks. So if you want to find Kitsuki, get a hold of her Mm -hmm. and the book, it'll be listed on the show notes. Beautiful. Thank you. And number four, what is the best suggestion you have ever received?
0: The the best suggestion was I think my third sponsor uh, told me to think before I speak. (laughs) That might seem... uh, like a a a small thing but I was like one of those kids in the back of the class always wanting to share at meetings and just jumping up and down and and she just wanted me to slow down you know so the guys they say take the the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth but for we petite fleur women we had to have another way to approach it and she just said think before you speak (laughs) okay well that's a new concept for me because i'm a blurter i just (laughs) blurt
1: there is that saying it says does it need to be said by me does it need to be said right now does it need to be say at all? Something like that. There's a few different yes. variations of that.
0: That's right. That's right. And and uh, and I, I learned because whether well, it's a couple of ways. One is that you know I jokingly said open the kimono at the beginning of the of the uh, of our discussion, but. In early recovery, it's like, I just opened my mouth and I would say just about anything. You know, that, <laughs> that instant intimacy, that more detail than anybody but your sponsor. And maybe not even she should hear, you know. It's just, Kitsuki, put a sock in it. But she was much more kind than that. Think before you speak.
1: <laughs> All right. And so number five, if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion... What would that be?
0: Love yourself mm. It's gonna be the hardest thing you ever do and And I don't mean just to look in the mirror and say that, but to truly let yourself settle down in your heart and be you it'll be a lifetime journey and it uh, it it deserves to be started as soon as you can.
1: Wow. That is spectacular. And I I love that. It's not the first time that that's been suggested, but I can't be emphasized enough. Love yourself. You have to, and are you doing, and what are you doing in your life that shows that you are actually loving yourself?
0: Right, right. And loving yourself doesn't mean that you're not going to grow. I mean, we have that saying, you know, God loves you just the way you are, but too much to leave you that way. Mm. You know, so it doesn't mean that if you love yourself, you've stopped all growth, or you're no longer going to challenge yourself, or no longer take the discipline of looking at difficulties in your life. It just means that, right, for this for this blessed moment, with this blessed breath, to be okay with who you are and love yourself.
1: Man, spectacular! I love it, and I finally found the quote here. The room it's a oh. room it's a roomy quote. Oh. Before you speak, let the words pass through three gates. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Spectacular. I love Rumi.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. Very few words. Very profound meaning. Very Uh, profound meaning.
1: Yes, yes. Oh, my God. Kiski, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Oh, thank you. Oh, this has been wonderful. You're uh, just a, a, a fun person to talk with. I've really enjoyed this. Oh,
1: well, thank you. It's been a blast. (laughs) good stuff good stuff all right folks we've now reached the end of our show thanks for joining us and as we say here in costa rica pura vida
2: pura vida